here. We've been in the midst of a series calling it Financial Freedom. Last week we kicked it off talking about debt. God wants you to climb out of debt. He really does. And I know for some of you when you hear that, all you feel is the weight of the overwhelming uh, dollars that stand between you and financial freedom. I tell you what, God is the author of finances and, and stewardship and responsibility, and it doesn't matter how deep the pit is with our sin, God can bring us out. It also doesn't matter how deep the pit is with our debt, God can help get us on track. It's been amazing to watch the Lord do incredible things, and if you didn't uh, have a chance to hear last week's service, I'm not trying to self-promote, I'm just saying this is really a message you have to hear. It's online, go to lolag.org and you can take a listen to that and we focus on it. We gave some tools out last week too. Uh, One of them is a quick start budget, and if you have never operated off of a budget, you, you will never find financial freedom unless you begin to aim in those directions and understand. If you don't tell your money where to go, it will find places uh, and it won't be to your benefit. It'll disappear. The other thing too is we gave out a thing called the debt snowball. This is not uh, ours originally. It's from Dave Ramsey, but you need to write down all your debt. And that's sometimes the scary part, right? How many of you like me at different points in your life when the debt was overwhelming, you're just like, I'm just going to ignore it. I understand why ostriches stick their head in the sand now. It's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go away, right? And then you lift your head up and the lion's still there. And it's like, maybe I should like have a different plan with this because I'm going to get eaten. And uh, it, it might, listen, I didn't get into my financial difficulties overnight. And because of that, I realized, honestly, I wasn't going to get out of my financial difficulties out of them overnight either. It may take time, but if you allow God, his principles, his word, if you let the Lord be Lord not only of your sin and your salvation, but also Lord of your financial stewardship, and you follow his principles, sooner or later when you put him first, things have a way of working out. And if you did not hear Pastor Dylan's testimony of all else that podcast you should listen to is that, how he was looking at $950 a month in student loan payments. That's like a mortgage without anything to show for it. Uh, Now he does have an education and that opens doors in and of itself and one of the reasons why he's on staff here. But it was no way he could afford that. And God supernaturally through a group of people who believe in him and believe in ministry and believe in missions and eventually we're gonna lose Pastor Dylan to the mission field and that will be a wonderful loss. Uh, But in the meantime, God's preparing him and they came in, they paid off $10,000 of debt, they took all of it out of Sally Mae, which was at 9.5%, I can get you a better rate with the mob, I'm serious. And they took all of that money out of that and he is now paying 450 a month, he is, Uh, paying it off, he'll be done 15 years early, paying half of what he was paying monthly, and all of it is interest-free. Somebody say amen to that miracle. That's a miracle. From somebody who's watched many students graduate or leave with debt and no degree, it is just a miracle, and it is a testimony. There he is. I'm sorry, I'm talking like you're not even here. It is a testimony of his faithfulness of consistently putting God first in his life. And uh, he is no respecter of persons. If he did it for him, he can do it for you. It might not look the same. It might not happen the same. But God can help you whether you uh, put yourself in that situation or you got in there because some things got away from you or you were even taken advantage of. God can help you regardless of where you're at. Amen? And so we realize that the Bible talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. Money, possessions, and stewardship. And if Jesus talked about it, then we should talk about it. And so, but how we talk about it is really important. We don't wanna do it in such a way that's discouraging to you, or we say this is how the magic works, Uh, but God in his word has given us principles, and so we're working through those and we're looking at them, and we tackled it in a big picture, and so last week we talked on financial freedom from debt. This week I felt compelled to talk to us about the financial freedom from the deceitfulness of riches the deceitfulness of riches. If you do not understand money, what it is, what it isn't, and its proper place in our life and its improper place in our life, it will take you to dark and difficult and depressing places we never intended to go. God has given us wisdom in his word and we're gonna unpack it here this morning, amen? 
Join me one more time in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you would honor your word above your name. And Lord, we speak the full counsel of God today, the truth, and we pray that you would bring it to life. Help some of us that are afraid. Help some of us here that are terrified to know that Jesus plus, uh, plus nothing can equal everything if we put you first in our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The year is 1920. And uh, actually, I got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I'm constantly reading. I'm listening to books. I'm reading in the office. I probably listen to books more than anything. Every time I'm in my car, I'm listening to audible.com, going through a book. Sometimes I can't sit still for very long. I'm kind of like Pastor Caitlin that way, that I just got to, I need to move to think. Uh, But whenever I'm repairing something in my house, working in the church, fixing something, I'm listening, constantly listening, growing, developing. Recently, I came across a book that I just started listening to that I think is going to be one of the most influential books in my life concerning finances and putting God and finances in proper order. That is a book by a guy by the name of Robert Morris called Beyond Blessed. And if you are looking for a book that helps talk through some things and frames things for you and God's perspective regarding finances, that book will transform you. It's transforming me. And so a couple of things I have to share with you here this morning really come from impact from that book here. And uh, my poor son, Andrew, had to listen to most of the book as we drove to Connecticut and to Rhode Island. And he, had, uh, he started mocking the speaker and he's saying, God wants to be first in your life. (laughs) (laughs) We joked around, we had a great time, but thanks for being a good sport too, buddy. Love you. Financial freedom from deceitfulness of riches. Lord, be with us, amen. So the year is 1920. Uh, My grandfather had just come into the United States. The 20s were beginning to gear up, and at that time in our local city of Boston, a uh, man whose name, first name was Charles founded a company called the Securities Exchange Commission and he gave this promise. He said, you give me 100 bucks and if you let me hold on to that for about 45 days, I will give you $150 back. That's pretty awesome if you think about it. I've given people lots of $100 bills and gotten nothing back. He says, give me 100, I'll give you 150. He said, and here's the other catch. If you give me your $100 and you invest it and leave it with me for 90 days, I will give you 100% profit. You give me 100, wait 90 days, I'll give you $200 back. That is killer uh, compounded interest. It's awesome return on investment capital for those of you that understand those financial terms. It's just great. Now this continued and then after, uh, after about six months, he had received a total of two and a half million dollars. Now back in the 1920s, that would be the equivalent of $30 million in our day. How many of you want a $30 million? Somebody say, yes. <laughs> I just... Mm. things I could do. And well, here's the thing. It got even better than that. After seven months, he was receiving a million dollars a week. And then after that, he was receiving, after nine months, he was receiving about $1 million a day from people saying, take my money and make me money. Take my money and make me money. Well, here's the thing. We know the story of the stock market. It rose and it crashed But this was not what he was doing. He was doing a scheme. And today we know it as the Ponzi scheme. And so Mr. Charles Ponzi took everyone for a ride in the early 20s, gave them nothing except the money he took from one person to the other, pocketed it, and his, uh, ended up getting arrested for it, did serious time in prison. This is nothing new to us. Those of us that are a little bit older that love 1980s, Pastor Dylan, he always busts on the 80s. I'm like, that's an awesome decade, man. Don't dis- disrespect it. Um, by the way, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the 80s and your parents, so don't disrespect it. Um, but having said that, <laughs> just a chance for me to get a public dig in, man. Uh, we know Enron and Bernie, Ma- uh, Bernie Madoff, right? Or Bernie Madoff, Bernie Madoff, yeah. Um, This is nothing new. Why? Why is this? Because we all want to get rich quick. We all want to 
experience a boom in our budget. We all, I mean, who wouldn't want to? Somebody told me that, I mean, that would be awesome. Through the years, I've, in, I've invested what little I have, and I, I just have realized I'm just not good at it, so w- with retirement, I have somebody else. They're handling it, uh, Fidelity and Thrivent and uh, uh, TD Ameritrade, they will totally do for you what they do on a daily basis. Better for you to leave it with them unless you really, really, really know what you're doing. Uh, but I've put in my fair share of stuff and, and instead of my money doubling, it just got cut in half. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm just terrible at this. So there's nothing wrong with wanting that. But the problem is, is when we have money in the wrong place in our life. And this I've found, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a pastor like me or not, it is very easy for occasionally finances to find themselves in a throne on our life in a place that it, God never intended it to be. And we expect things from money that it can never give. How many of you were ever in a toxic relationship and you were looking for that relationship to give you something and when it finally went sideways and it ended, you're like, I was looking for something that that person could never give me. That is called the relationship of money. People are in a relationship looking for money to do something for them that it never ever will do, looking for it to provide security, looking for it to provide peace, looking for it to provide contentment, and yet what happens is it's just the opposite. And so I want to take you with me to a very brief passage in Matthew 13, and if you turn there in the Bibles in the pew, whether you're on your phones or you brought your own Bible, by the way, we believe in the Word of God in this church, and we normally preach through books of the Bible. We'll be getting into, after, um, after this series and after the month of the early part of February, we're going to be talking about relationships. We are going to be going through the prophets, uh, so get ready. They're they pretty, you think I'm direct, you should hear Jeremiah speak. He's... <laughs> pretty direct guy, but in Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus is telling a very profound parable that is very famous. It's almost like the prodigal son, you know that? Even if you weren't in church, you know this parable, and let me sum it up so we can get the full force of Matthew, uh, that verse 22. Bible, Jesus is talking to a crowd. He says, there once was a, a sower, a farmer. He went out and he grabbed a seed and he threw it out all over the place, which that's what you do when you're trying to uh, get a harvest. And so the first step is you sow your seed. The seed has all of the potential of what it needs to bring you. If it gets in the right soil, if it's watered properly, if it's cared for properly, at the end it will produce a harvest. That's the seed, the seed is good. And so the seed, Jesus says, is the word of God. And he's going out and he's sowing it all over the place. But he says some of it fell on the path and birds stole it. It didn't even have a chance to germinate. It never even had a chance to sprout, it was just instantly taken away. And so he explains to his disciples, hey, that is like the word that I speak. There are some people, it's like talking to a brick wall or a hard path in this case. It, and as soon, just as soon as that good seed that has the potential to change their life is because of the hardness of the surface of their life, it's not even gonna stick around long enough for it to do anything. Unfortunately, that's the hearts and minds of men, I, but I'm trying what I can. And so then he talks about how some of it falls in rocky soil. Uh, if you've ever been to the top of Mount Manadnock or Mount Washington, there are places where these little pockets of dirt and grass on top of a giant open area of rock. And although it sprouts up when the summer comes, it it withers up because it doesn't have the ability to dig down deep in its roots. And so although this is the, the group of people that I see commonly always in the church, they come in and they're like, Pastor, I just want more God in my life and more Jesus in my life. And they're really excited about it. But once they realize what is what it means to be a follower of Christ, that there's responsibility and work on our end. We need to engage a relationship with Christ. We need to allow him to be Lord of all these areas. Uh, And then as soon as discouragements and disappointments and hardships come in, they're like, hey, if this is what, thanks a lot, God. You know what? I came to you and asked for you to do this and that, and you didn't do it. Well, I'm done. And then they just walk out and we see him again next year, sooner or later, or maybe a couple of years from then. Then he comes to a third group, which we find here in Matthew 13, 22, and it reads like this. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Hear me. The thing that God is trying to get into your life is not your thoughts about him. 
It's his word and who he wants you to begin to think about concerning him. He's shown us who he is through his word. He wants his word in you and he sows this into our lives. But there's a problem. Even though we're in, we may have good soil and we're in the right spot at the right time, two thorns grow up side by side. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus says those two, even though all of the conditions can be perfect, those two things in themselves can choke out and completely make ineffective any good thing that God wants to do in your life. How many of you know those two companions? They're like a, they're like a tag team MMA championship fighting wrecking machines. You know, over in this corner we have cares of the world and in that corner we've got deceitfulness of riches and they will just bust your lip wide open and take from you everything and leave you nothing. Um, I know I look like a poster child for Dunkin' Donuts, but I've taken martial arts for a long period in my life. I took Tong Sudo, I took Taekwondo, and then uh, while I was at North Point Bible College, there was a wonderful man, Ernie Henson, came in, and he was a fourth-degree Kodakon Judo master. He was, he was about 72 years old, and he could be bum-rushed by the entire freshman class and come out unscraped. He was unbelievable. And the thing I love about judo is that most martial arts are designed strike, break. We've got some um, different Brazilians in here. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just brutal. They, like, they don't just throw you. They turn your arm, so when they're throwing you, they break your arm at the same time. And, and, and it, all this really violent style of fighting. The good thing about judo is, is it stands for the gentle art. Judo has strikes and it has blows, but it really doesn't use them. The whole goal of judo is to immobilize your opponent to make them ineffective for fighting. And one of the greatest moves for that is choking someone out. You have a vein and an artery going up through your neck into your head. And although your soul belongs to Jesus, if we hit the mat, your body is gonna belong to me. And I just get the right hold on your neck, and I kid you not, you can count down from seven seconds, and you will be passed out. It's the most incredible thing ever. I remember when I was a kid, they had some wrestler, and he went out there. Who was his name? I don't know. And he had the sleeper hold. That's a real thing. You cut off the blood flow. You cut off the blood flow to the brain. There's no oxygen going to the brain. The brain says, shut down, boom, end of story. Now, although I'm still a black belt in my mind, I'm not in my body anymore, and so this isn't a challenge for anyone. Please leave me alone. Um, but... When Jesus talks about the cares of this world being one hand and the deceitfulness of the riches choking out God's word, I understand what that means. You understand what that means. What is fruitfulness in our life? Well, what is the fruit of the spirit? What is it? Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And here's the thing about fruit is you have to give it time and you have to nurture it, right? Just like fruit or harvest, you need to water it, you need to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. But once that return comes in, it's awesome. And while Ponzi was saying he'll give you 150 for 100, Jesus says, you trust me with the 100 and I will give you 100 fold. It would be like giving Ponzi $100 and he says, here's 1,000. Now, I'm not just talking in money at this moment. I'm talking about peace, kindness, patience. I mean, things that make life, life. And sometimes they're in short supply, right? Listen, there's nothing magical about me just because I'm a minister doesn't mean I'm special. I might have been doing this thing and I'm more focused on it, but I have times where boy, I really should have plucked some, some kindness off of the vine of Jesus. Patience. I am, how patient am I, Pastor Dylan? Yeah, <laughs> he just zipped his lip. Like, I'm not saying. I'm just like, we, you know, it's like time-lapse photography, right? I go up to everything in my life and I'm like, grow now! I'm like, where's the spiritual microwave? Could somebody please get that for me here so we can get this thing cooking? And 
And we all need it because we all are sinners and we all need a savior and we all are human beings and we all need to trust God and there's a, this is a daily battle and you, whoever you yield yourself to will be your master. You can let it be your flesh. You can be, let it be this world that we're a part of. You can even let it be the enemy, but God invites us to allow him to be Lord of our life and the fruit maker for us. But how does this play out in our life? What does it look like? What do the cares of this world really look like when we take a peek at it? It looks something like this. How am I gonna eat? How am I gonna, man, I need a new wardrobe. If I'm gonna get that job, I, you know, if I'm gonna get that girl, if I'm gonna get that guy, I gotta just, you know, I gotta, I gotta dress up. Or, you know what, I just don't feel good. I need to go out and get some shoes, right? Uh, or, you know what, I've worked hard all my life. I deserve that car, Right? Looks different for different people and different genders, but it's, it's this, the cares of this life might be, uh, where am I gonna live? How am I going to ha- afford that apartment? How am I gonna do this now that I'm divorced and I gotta c- still maintain the mortgage? How am I gonna handle these bills that have come in? What am I gonna do for this and that and this and that? And, 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 and then all of a sudden you just, you feel the chokehold on you of, Peace begins to leave you and panic begins to settle in and the room goes fuzzy and white and you feel yourself like I can't keep my balance and and it starts to choke out the life that God intended for you to live for him. And he has a good life for us. And God wants us to be above the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of this riches that he talks about. And that's what I wanna talk with you about here for a little bit. So if you would with me, Real quick, sorry, I got so many papers here, I lost sight of this. Turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. If you're working in the white Bibles in front of you, you can shout out the page once you got it, but say it with a deep, loud voice. Page 508. 508? Luke 12, 16. What? 965. Luke 12, 16. Thank you very much. Okay. Here we go. (laughs) Do it one more time and I'll yell bingo. All right. You got to be Catholic to get that one. Let's start at verse 22 here. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what your bo- uh, about your body, what you will put on. And the life more, is not life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Consider the ravens. <coughs> they neither sow nor reap. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? This is, uh, if then you, not being able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grew, and neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is here, alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven and the fire, How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Right there tells me what the problem is when we're giving over to fear of the cares of this world. How am I gonna pay for it? How am I gonna do it? How am I, you know what? God looks at us and he says, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Sometimes we let God be the savior of our sin, but when it comes to the rescuer of our financial catastrophe, we think that it's completely dependent upon us. And God's like, I don't wanna just limit my power and my love for you to this one area of your life and look at the rest of it and say, you made your bed, sleep at it. Nope, I wanna look at it, and if you'll trust me, take my hand, pick up your mat, rise, and walk. Don't be anxious, have faith in God. Verse 29, and do not seek, uh, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, not be, uh, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, so your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus loves you. He loves you whether the, the financial catastrophe that's upon you is your fault or somebody else's. He loves you whether you feel that you've got it together or not. 
This is the, Jesus is an equal access lover of people. He cares about you. I think for many of us, sometimes when it comes to maybe our struggles, we can embrace the love of God for that, but when it comes to our finances, we really struggle. We feel the shame of those kind of things. And I think, I think God would want you to know here this morning, Jesus would want you to know, he loves you. He knows what you are and he knows what you're not. And he wants to help you. But he needs us to partner with him. God could snap his finger and make all, all your debt go away. I had a friend, he, was, uh, he had $165 million and I was in a conversation with him. He said, Paul, I could write you a check for $6 million right now. I said, well, my man, get the pen ready. Here we go. And he says, you know, like every lame rich guy, right? But I can't do that. I won't be doing you a favor. I'm like, no, bro, you'd be doing me a great favor. Whip out that pen. You understand? Uh, it's better for me to teach you how to do this, you know? And I'm like, oh my goodness, come on. But yet our heavenly father looks at us and he says, I could totally make all this go away. But if I make all of it go away and you don't become responsible and self-controlled, with how you handle finances and how you don't handle them, you will be in the same place or worse in a short period of time. Do you know that your situation can get worse? You know how it can get worse? Is as if you do not allow the principle of God's word and the fruit of God's spirit to be a part of how you steward and handle finances. It can get much worse. God wants to help us here this morning and although he can make it all go away in a sweep of a hand, most of the time he won't because he wants us to become disciplined and good stewards. It's not what you don't have. It's what you do with what you got. And you know why? Because Jesus said it like this, he who is faithful in will be faithful in. And if you can become faithful with the little that you have and honor God and honor his principles of how he says this thing works, I am telling you, if you are faithful with little, he will make you trusted with much. And it, the reverse is true of that. Well, the cares of this world are real, right? Uh, my friend Mike, he uh, goes to the church that I came from. He's an executive salesman with IBM and he is drowning in money. And really, really great guy. He has a boat and every once in a while he would say, hey, do you want me to take your students out on the boat? And we'd go out in the middle of the ocean. And, and uh, he was actually a very instrumental person with grief share at the church uh, where we were. And great, great guy. Well, he told me how he grew up in a, in a very poor home and he determined that his son would never know what it's like to have want. And so he was gonna work hard and he was gonna get rich. And he did, man. He, he was pounding it and he had it going on. And then one day, as he was home waiting for his son, who he was going to make sure he had his home paid for, had already had what cars he had, was gonna make sure that he had just the right job. If there was ever a kid that was gonna jumpstart into life as a millionaire, it was this kid. And on his way home, uh, they had an accident, his son went through the window, and he never saw the year 21 of his birthday. And he said, Paul, I, I, he went into a depression, he went into the middle of the ocean and he was just gonna throw himself off the edge of his boat and that's when God really began to rescue him. He got into grief share. He's in a completely different place now. But he said, I understand what the Bible says when Jesus says in Luke 16 and where he talks about how there's a man and he says, my fields are really going great. I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns and I'll fill them and I'll store up riches and, and, and I'll, I'll totally increase myself and then I can say to myself, well, I'll rest and relax and eat and drink and be at peace. And the Lord says this, Jesus says it like this, you fool, you do not know that your life will be required of you this night. Nobody has tomorrow. Nobody has tomorrow. And nobody has what they have. What we have has been given to us by God. And one day we will give an account to him for it. We are stewards of what we've been given. This idea of wealth and finances and responsibility was not original with the New York Stock Exchange. It began with God Almighty. It's not just the cares of this world that can do it, but it, it's, it's the comparisons of this world that'll kill you, which is the deceitfulness of riches. 
Uh, I went away one time with this one guy was one of them that I just mentioned, but there were about like 20 of these multimillionaires and I was way in Georgia on a re retreat with them and my brother's like, you gotta meet these guys and you know, they're really good with investing and da 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 and you know, they're sitting there talking about, well, I got 166 million and I got this and I got that and I got this and I got that and then all of a sudden I came back and you have to understand it wasn't until 10 years ago that I was ever even able to make a living from doing ministry. I rolled up my sleeves and I paid to be in ministry for most of my life. I would get up and I'd work a second job or I'd, it just, and, and it was never enough and, and I believe in this thing and I believe in eternity and I believe that there is reward that waits for me there and I understand that at the same time God takes care of my needs but I was at that point saying, why is it that I'm living for you Jesus and I can't even pay my bills? Why is it that I'm faithful to you and these people in ministry are killing it and, and totally like saying be blessed, be fed and they're walking away and I'm like totally crushed. I can't even get my medical bills taken care of. Why, why, why is that person driving that car and I've got this one? Why is that person getting that house and I got that one? And, and all of a sudden it just tailspun me into a downward spiral because I fell into the trap of the deceitfulness of riches because I thought that money would actually give me happiness. And it doesn't. You know, it's amazing, a verse in Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, he who loves money will never be satisfied with their wealth or their income. What that means is, you will neither be satisfied with the amount you were able to save, nor will you ever be satisfied with the amount that you wake and you make week in and week out. They'll always, I think it was J.D. Rockefeller said, how much, they asked him, how much is enough? And he said, just one more dollar, just one more dollar. It'll never be enough, it'll never satisfy. It's a bottomless pit, you know why? Because we're in this life and we're trying to satisfy the eternal with temporal things. My wife and I have a group of friends and we all got married at the same time. And all of our marriages went in different directions, but one of our friends went in a very catastrophic direction and there was enough blame to go around for all of them. But while he was totally not being loving, not being responsible as a husband, hiding himself in his ego and hiding himself in anything but his family, she was depressed and she realized I need to be happy and so what did she do? She took out a credit card and she just began to charge and then after that one was maxed, you know what she did? She got another credit card and that one got maxed and then she began rolling all of these over until it was close to, I think it was like $45,000 of debt and as they were parting and separating, he realized that that was going to be part of the liability to both of them. And Although maybe that's not the extreme level of what we've done, some of us, we've done it in a different way. We're like, I'll just be happy when I get this or I'll just be happy when I get that. And, and, and we live outside of our means where the Bible commands us and instructs us if you want happiness and you want peace in your life, be content with the situation with which God has placed you. Be content. Can I just put comparison in perspective for you? If you drive down to the Belvedere section, there's more money there than ought to be. You drive into Andover and there's way more money than there ought to be. You drive into my neighborhood, give it about a week living there, someone will get murdered on your front lawn. Uh, there ain't enough money in there and what little there is, they take it from you anyway. So um, my neighbors are Crack Jack and Willie the Wino. <laughs> it's intense. Some of you understand that. But here's the thing is, is you go from one of those neighbors to the next, there's somebody in my neighborhood that's saying, I wish I lived in Belvedere. And you know what, there are people in Belvedere and they're saying, I just wish I lived in North Andover. And, 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 and it never, ever stops. And you know what happens is, is that the cares of this world and the fear is on your neck on one end and the deceitfulness of riches that says that if you spend, you will be happy and it gets around your throat and just like that seven second pass out factor, it cuts the flow of blood off to your soul, everything goes fuzzy and devil doesn't even need to fight you, you're completely ineffective. And the Bible says this about those people. It says the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches make God's word unfruitful. Hear me as your pastor. I love you, I care for you. There are some people I know the details of your life, most of you I don't. So if you think I'm talking to you, I'm not. But if it's God talking to you. There are some of you in this building here that regularly attend church and do all the Christian stuff, but the cares of this world 
and the deceitfulness of riches has so effectively choked you out, there is no fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it's not what God has attended for you. Here's the good news. That was then. This is now. See, it could all end at that point and say, well, that's the end of the story. Jesus said, I made my bed, now I gotta live in it. No, Jesus is the kind of God that says, you made your bed, don't sleep in it, pick up your bed, rise and walk. I've watched God take people from the most catastrophic situations of borrowing from the mob and borrowing and gambling and, and, and spout, spiteful spouses that maxed out the credit on the way out the door and, and all kinds of things and watch Jesus jump in and that person says, listen, God's been Lord of my life and he's been Lord of my sin and he's Lord of my eternity. I'm gonna make him Lord of my finances. Whatever he tells me to do, I'm gonna do it and watch God reverse that complex, catastrophic mess. How many of you are in here in that room and you raise your hand and say, God reversed my situation. He turned it on its head and time and time again, God can do it for you. But the first thing that we have to do is to see riches for what they aren't. Because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke you out. And it concludes in the book of Matthew chapter six, verses 31 to 34, where Jesus repeats the same thing we read elsewhere. He says, do not worry about what you'll eat, what you'll drink, or what you'll wear. But he adds this tag that Pastor Dylan uses all the time. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't just seek the kingdom, also seek it in a way that it's righteous, the way that God would want it done in his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and if you put first things first in your life, he adds this caveat at the end, then all these things will be added unto you. Listen, I get that it's hard to go from steaks to hot dogs, but it's even harder to go from steak to nothing. Proverbs says it like this, better to be in a house where there's little but much love than to be in the house of feasting with strife. It's not what you have, it's, it's God's blessing on it. And we talked last week about greed being a form of idolatry. There is nobody in this room right now that has got a kiln in their backyard and they're making a golden calf and they're gonna set it up in their living room and they're gonna just bow down and worship it, right? If not, please see one of the pastors on staff, we wanna help you. <laughs> That's just crazy, right? You go to India, though, and all the gods that are there, they always put out food for them, you know, and just, just nobody's gonna do that, but idolatry is very subtle in our culture, and it comes through the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, and God started it first in the book of Exodus, chapter 19 and chapter 20, where he talks about and gives the Ten Commandments, and he says, I am the Lord your God. There is no other. And then he gives that commandment, and he says, do not have any other gods before me. That word before me doesn't mean this one, that one, this one, and make sure I'm in first place. It means don't bring them before my face, alpine. Bring them not before my face. I don't even want to see them. Don't have them in your life. Don't have them in my presence. But yet, the deceitfulness of riches in this world totally choke out again and again. Now you're going to say, I'm saying this just because I'm a pastor, and you're gonna say this because, I'm just saying this because I'm the pastor of this church, but I'm gonna speak to you very, very directly. Because uh, for those of you that are guests here, we never really talk about the topic of money more than once a year. So welcome, you just landed right in the middle of it. But if you're experiencing debt and problem, you listen to that podcast, this is, this is good stuff. God has the wisdom for us. But when you try to do it any other way other than the way that God has intended for your life, it will not and does not work. It might work for a little bit, it might have some, but you'll have it without peace. It might work for somewhat for a time, but you'll find yourself moving three steps forward, five steps back, and you find yourself spiraling down and down and down again. And if money is not put in its proper order, it is a tool, it's not a toy. My son Andrew, I, I, he's the most responsible kid with axes, knives, and fire. Since he was the age of 10, he's been starting his own campfires, and my nervous, my nervous neighbors freak out. They've called the fire department a couple times, and 
and then they just kind of chuckled and they're like, hey, he's a good kid, you know? He sharpens stuff. When I need wood chopped, he does it. He's responsible. Some of you, I wouldn't trust you with a butter knife. My son, Andrew, he is smooth and he is good and he is responsible and I know that he will do it exactly the way that I would want and safe, responsible and that kind of stuff is so important, but sometimes God looks at us and when he looks at us, could he look at you and I and say that you exercise that kind of responsibility with your finances? That he could say of you, I don't have to look at them, I can turn my back, they're gonna be safe, nobody's gonna get hurt. Here's the thing, because money and finances is not a toy and it is, should not be a God. It is simply a tool in the day that we live in. And a tool is only as good as the person whose hands it's in. And if you want to handle your finances on your own and let Jesus be Lord of your sin and let him be savior of your your death and eternity, and you don't want him to be Lord of your finances and follow his instruction in your life, you have that choice. I can tell you whatever I want here this morning and you will do whatever you're going to do anyway, right? But there are a handful of people here that when I say this, number one, you're hearing it and you're like, yes, amen, I'm on the right path. And there are some of you when I share what I'm sharing with you here this morning, you're gonna say, you know what? I've tried it that way, I'm gonna try it God's way and you're gonna see your life turn around and change, I kid you not. And there are others of you when I share this, You're gonna say yes, amen, and you're gonna continue that path of letting the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world choke you out. So I am only effective, all I'm doing here is giving advice, not giving you a command. I have no power over your lives or anything like that. I'm just a pastor speaking what God's written in his word. But God speaks a lot about putting him first in finances. In Proverbs chapter three, verses nine and 10, I wanna read this to you. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And then listen to what he talks about afterwards. This is kind of bizarre, but I was like, why? And then I'm like, oh, of course. My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves those he loves as a father in whom he delights in his son. Probably one of the most undisciplined areas of our life when it comes to Christianity is finances. We purchase outside of our means and we get ourselves into all kind of difficulty because we don't we 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 step into it initially thinking that that money and stuff and things is gonna do something for us, and God the whole time is like that that isn't gonna do anything for you. In fact, it's gonna make things worse for you. Let me tell you what we talked about last week. If you're in debt and you're in a difficult situation, whatever, you can get out of it. You apply God's principles and you take a budget and you live by it and you command your money where to go, you will see yourself climb out. But this is the place where time and again, uh, no matter how many times through the years I've seen it, there, there are always a group of people that love Jesus, that care for him and no matter what, and yet they never get down the fact of giving God first in their life the tithe. They think, well, I can't afford to tithe, so once I get my debts paid, then I'll take care of it. And here's the thing, it isn't just your money that's at stake, it's your peace that's at stake. It's your kindness, it's your patience, it's your goodness. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life are wealthy people and they've been poor people. And some of the happiest people I've ever met have been wealthy people and they've been poor people. And that happiness versus that miserableness has always been based upon where money and wealth and their perspective of it lies in their life and their lordship of it. And when you put God first, he can do more with your 90% when you put that tent in his hands. He took a child who had a couple of fishes and loaves of of bread and he fed 5,000 people. I've watched, listen, let me tell you what. When my wife and I started out in ministry, I was making $119 a week. Somebody should have called like the police department on that. But I did it because I was doing it because I knew I was doing what God wanted me to do and I would wake up at four in the morning and I would work a job and I'd work a second job and it wasn't until I was full grown that I ever even made a living from the gospel and this was the thing that I put my foot down and I said you know what I don't care how much I have or how little I have I'm always going to give first for God and I took $119 and I tithed that money to the Lord and this is the amazing thing that I watched through the years I had no vehicle God supernaturally provided a new one with 
17,000 miles on it. There was nobody in the state of Rhode Island that was finding a house under 250 to $300,000 that all of a sudden my wife says, I don't know what we're gonna do. We need a miracle house of $70,000. The real estate uh, agent that was right next to us turns around and says, you know, it's so funny that you say that. I'm really embarrassed, but my dad put his house on the market for, guess what, $70,000 this morning. And we walked away with that house while my friends were building their careers and their bank accounts and their 401ks. They paid $250,000, $350,000 for their home. And we got home not because we came up with the money, but God provided our need and met us in the middle because we honored him first. When all of the children of Israel were born, he said, this is my thing. You are my people, but you will honor me first. I want you to separate and redeem unto me the firstborn. And you know what God did? His firstborn son, Jesus, he redeemed and set him apart so that every single one of us could be his children. And through the tithe of his son, Jesus Christ, he redeemed all of humanity. God can do more with 10% leaving 90. Billy Graham said this, I found in my family and in my home that God has been able to do more with 90 when we honor him with 10 than us holding on to the 100. The same man who said just one more dollar, J.D. Rockefeller said this, I never would have given my first million at a church had I not been tithing when I was making $1.50 a day. God can do more when you put him first. And in fact, in Exodus 34, verse 26, it reads like this. You shall give the Lord the first of the first of your first fruits. Which means this, not that you stockpile it and send it off later, not that you invest it and try to build it more, but when you slap that sickle in the field, that first tenth of that field, to set it aside, boys, that's going right to the Lord. First things first. And the reason why some of us are in the situation that we're in financially is not that we haven't had more money, but we haven't been handling it responsibly the way that God has commanded us in his word to do. And I'm telling you, you're gonna do what you do, but I'm telling you that I'm telling you, the reason why Pastor Dylan just found out that he went from $950 a month to 450 and cut 15 years off of his loans and $10,000 off of his debt was because when he was making $119 a week, he was giving a tenth of that to the Lord and beyond that to missions. There are missionaries on that back wall that are there because that young man's supporting him. And he says, I know the church has maxed out how much it can give, but I wanna give to those people. I believe in them. And we have even people beyond that. And here's the incredible thing is, is that the Bible says, give and it will come back to you. Press down, shaken together and running over. And the principle of first in God's life is, is that I am the Lord, your God. There are no other gods before me. And he is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He doesn't wanna just be Lord and savior of your sin. He doesn't wanna be Lord and redeemer of your dreams. He also wants to help save you in your financial situation. And although he could cut a check for you and make it all go away, you would find yourself in the same place again and again and again because you are a steward of what has been given to you. You will stand before God one day. I will stand before God and I'll say, Paul, how did you manage the finances of that church? How did you manage what I gave you? Did you honor me first? Or imagine if you were in a marriage and then all of a sudden you said, honey, I really love you, but I need to take care of everything else and you made sure that you gave attention to your friends and your neighbors and strangers and then at the very end you just gave what was left over to your wife that's that's that doesn't work and yet we do this with God financially all the time and you're like well pastor Paul it's all right you know I'm doing fine I'm I, you know things are going well it's the principle and it's the fact that we we are stewards and we'll stand before him I'm telling you right now honor God with your finances. We have a staff here that does that. You don't have to do it and we're not gonna look down on you for not doing it. But I'm telling you the key, the one key that has not kicked over the change in your life financially for your debt and your struggles, I'm telling you right now, this is the one. This is the one. And God invites us by saying this. This is the only place in scripture, the only place where God says, put me to the test. He says elsewhere, he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't come to me and say, God, unless you do it this way, I'm not gonna serve you. It's like, don't you dare do that to me, I'm God. This is the only place he says, he says, I dare you, put me to the test. Honor me with the first fruits of your giving and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and give you a blessing. Better to be in the house of 
little where there's peace and strife than in the house of, uh, where there's no peace and strife than where there's no fighting and stuff than, than to be in a, a house with a fatted calf where there's strife and conflict. And here's the terrible thing of this. You can be doing good today. There's no promise you're going to have good tomorrow. My grandfather owned Manhattan Bar and Grill. Right now it's in existence in someone else's ownership and it's worth millions. But the Great Depression hit and he said nobody could afford to go out to eat, so we had to let it go. Money is a wonderful servant, but it is a horrible master. Let Jesus master that area of your life. Amen? Stand with me. I want to invite you to invite Jesus. So many of the ministries that we have in this church, they're not funded by the government and they're not funded. We can't pay the bills on Hallelujah, but they're funded by the generosity of you and those of you that consistently and faithfully give. This is awesome, but this isn't about you giving to a church or to a pastor. It's about honoring the Lord. It's about the missionaries on the back wall. It's about the ministries in this church. It's also about God giving it to you. God does not need your money. He gave this not for us. He gave it for, for, for himself. He gave it for us that we could trust him in all areas of our life. And so if you want to enter into that trust relationship with Jesus, I just ask across this room, if you're already in it, lift up your hands with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we ask for your blessing. You say that you will bless us in our coming in and our going out. Lord, we want a blessed life. Father, we, some of us in this room, we're in a difficult spot. And some of us, we got there on our own and others, we got there because we just weren't keeping an eye on things. But Lord, if you can be the God that forgives us of our sin and takes away our shame, you can help us with our finances too. Lord, I pray that you would let 2019 be the year that we got serious about debt and we got responsible with our finances, that we would understand the difference between needs and greeds. And Father, that you would help us to begin to move forward, understanding that we are stewards of what you've given us and also knowing that you want to bless us. There's nothing wrong with being blessed, but we need to be responsible. But Lord, you also tell us, you command us to honor you with the first fruits. Some people would say, Lord, that that's just the Old Testament, but so as you shall not kill, you shall not lie, you shall not commit adultery. Lord, the, the covenant is through Jesus's blood that reconciles us. It's not a new covenant with new laws. It's an expanded covenant with greater freedom and greater mercy and powerful forgiveness. And so we receive all that you have for us. But Lord, we wanna change in this area of our life. We wanna honor you with our finances. Give us the courage. Lord, I pray right now for that one person that is afraid and says, I can't do it. Lord, we don't have to wait for understanding, but obedience can never wait. Help us to do and let the understanding catch up with us. We bless you and we thank you. I pray for the grip of the cares of this world and the grip of the deceitfulness of riches to be removed from the lives of people within this community and that they would be within the grip of God's grace and that we would be a church that honors you in every area of our life. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship the Lord in this last song as we go. Thank you so much for enduring to the end. God bless you.